Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development course, and it's produced with the support and encouragement of my patrons, listeners who enjoy the show and let me know with a financial high five. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, I'll let you know how at the end of the episode. Today, my guest is Carolyn Baker, who's an author that I've been following for several years now, and her recent book is called Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse cultivating the relationships we need to thrive. I connected with Carolyn over Skype. She was at home in Colorado. So Carolyn, in your book, Love in the Age of Ecological Collapse, the very first chapter opens with kind of the mac daddy of all problems that that, <laughs> that, that that what we would call preppers, those of us who, who are preparing for the econopocalypse or the enviropocalypse, uh, frequently have, which is where one partner is uh, highly educated and aware and usually concerned about uh, the converging emergencies of environmental, social, uh, and economic uh, collapse. And the other partner is uh, very reluctant to discuss it um, and and sometimes is even resentful at how much time and energy the the prepping partner is is putting into it when people are in that um, space <laughs> I'm wondering if you can uh, give us like what the intro would be when you you've got a couple like that and you're talking to the person you're talking to the the partner who isn't really facing it you know what what do you tell people about what the reality is that we really need to be facing well you know everyone faces the collapse of industrial civilization and near-term extinction in a different way including not facing it um, people with children have an especially difficult time because no one wants to hear that their child may not have a future or may have a very grim future. So um, in terms of partners, uh, one partner begins to wake up to these things and the other partner may think that their partner is crazy. Uh, they may get very scared, very intimidated, very angry and not want to hear any more. Um, that leaves the collapse-aware partner feeling alone, crazy, guilty, sad, and maybe angry as well. So in Chapter 1 of Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, um, that chapter is all about this dilemma. And I offer a host of tools that people can use to work on this issue with their partner. Sometimes working through this disruptive dilemma is not possible, and the partners in the relationship decide to go their separate ways, and for some people that may be inevitable. But if you are a partner who is aware of where industrial civilization and the ecosystems are headed, and your partner isn't, there are more and less effective ways to have a conversation about this with your partner. That's what the first chapter of the book offers in a great deal of detail. Also, I work with a number of people in life coaching who are struggling with these issues, and often together we can find some options or even healing of the situation. Mm -hmm. Well, and I really appreciated how sort of thoroughly and um, 
explicitly you 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 illustrate how to go through these conversations i'm wondering why i mean yeah of course nobody wants to hear the bad news but but when we have all this information we say we live in the age of information why is it that we're avoiding this like what are we really afraid of is it loss of control is it like what do you think is the core wound under that well, it's not about information. Um, why we avoid talking about it and what we're really afraid of is very simple. We're afraid of death. And in this culture, we're extremely death phobic because nobody reminds us that birth is fatal and no one gets out of here alive. Um, this is why so few people refuse to talk about extinction and why so many people want to cling to climate change denial. You know, to illustrate how terrified of death we are, in the state of Florida now, public officials can't use the word climate change anymore because the powers that be know that their state is sinking and it's going to be inundated with rising sea levels sooner rather than later. Uh, everybody knows about this collectively. This is all very obvious in the collective unconscious that Carl Jung talked about. And this is one reason that the culture is going crazy with shootings and violence and rampant narcissism. The song that I chose for my radio show, The Lifeboat Hour, is Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen, because everybody does know. And what we need to be doing right now is learning how to die well and how to live well. Once we start doing that, the future will be much less terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. I often say uh, to my clients when I'm working on helping them develop their intuition and get connected with the sort of part of their brain that knows uh, is that if we're not in an intimate relationship with the mystery, we're not very well prepared to deal with the one big mystery we all know we're going to face at the end of it, right? So right. we need to not try to break it apart and understand it, but get comfortable and in intimate with it so that Absolutely. we can be in relationship with it. So, okay, so, and you, you, you get into this in the book, and I wonder if you could give a little teaser here to people, because I know that whether it's about a collapse, or whether it's about death, or whether it's about what are we going to do with your parents when they can't live on their own anymore, like any of these difficult conversations, how would you suggest a couple that's in a stalemate situation uh, refresh the conversation? How could the, the partner who's still keen to talk about it maybe approach it in a different way? What skills would you offer? Excellent question. Um, one thing I suggest in chapter one is that when couples or family members or friends are engaged in a conversation about collapse, that they make I statements and not focus on what the other person doesn't get. Most importantly, speak from the heart. So many people believe that if the other person just reads the right books or watches the right documentaries or listens to the right speakers, that he or she will be convinced. And the truth is that collapse and near-term extinction are profoundly emotional issues because they take us right to the end of life in one way or another. So therefore, when one person is feeling frustrated because the other person doesn't get it, what never works is an intellectual argument. Now, what may sometimes work and sometimes manifest absolute magic is simply saying something like, you know, I feel really sad and scared that we aren't on the same page about this. I care about you and about our family, and it's painful when we argue about this or when I want to talk about this and you don't. I feel 
I feel very alone with what I know. Now, I'm not saying that this always brings people together, but it communicates that the person speaking is coming from their heart, and that is much more likely to evoke a heartful response in the other person than hammering them with facts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you mentioned how hard it is for uh, families with children um, earlier at the top of the show, and I, I'd really like to talk about resilience. I'm the mother of an 11-year-old girl, and... Uh, we co-parent my husband and I with her dad. We all get along great. We have Sunday roasts, you know, Christmas mornings all together, but we can't seem to have, uh, or sometimes we feel ineffective because what we're telling our daughter about why we're growing and preserving our own food and, you know, why we don't own a car is not her experience at her dad's house or even at school. There's gadgets everywhere. The people, kids are on the computer there, you know, and so as far as she can see, actually life is pretty happy and none of their parents are talking about collapse and, right. you know, have like a massive earthquake kit that looks like it could last a year because it could, uh, you know, so what do we say to our children when they're not experiencing reality the way we tell them and you know, maintain our connection, which is so difficult when they're becoming more peer oriented and we look like a flailing lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fabulous question that I get often. Um, you know, I'm not so sure that all of our children think everything's peachy. Many, many teenagers and millennials know that it's not, mm-hmm. especially when they get out and start having student loan debt, you know, get out of college. And, and you know, many are now moving back into their parents' basements because they can't afford living just, you know, on the kinds of jobs that are available now. Um But if young people want to talk about this, our job is to listen and gently, discreetly share with them what we know. We should be teaching them life skills and skills for becoming resilient. And in the the appendix of Love and the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, there's a three-part article by a mother from Vermont entitled, Raising Your Kids for a Resilient Future. You know, you don't you don't want to tell your kids more than they want to hear, but when they bring it up, listen to them and tell them that you're very concerned about their future. One thing you can do is apologize to them for helping create that kind of future. Um, you know, when I used to teach in college, I would the first day I would go into the class, the history class or the psychology class and apologize to my students. And sometimes the students would say, what do you mean? This is the greatest country in the world. And I would say, well, by the end of the course, you'll understand what I mean. And they usually did. So for parents, um, spend time with your children in nature, camping, gardening, hiking, enjoying the beauty and joy of the earth together. And here I want to add that whether it's raising our children or talking with disagreeing partners or family members, the most important thing is to love these people. Guy McPherson is constantly saying, only love remains. And that's correct. Rumi says, out beyond ideas of right and wrong, there's a field. I'll meet you there. And the field he's talking about is the heart. It's the place of loving the other person, whether we disagree or not. And one of the most important things we can be doing right now is spreading our love, deepening our love, receiving love, and cherishing every person and everything in our lives. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, beautifully said. It's It makes me think too about uh, how many of my clients have a difficult time grappling with the idea of uh, a spirit or a universe or God or whatever you want to call it that wants us to hurt. And when I say to them, but we know that pain is how we grow. We know that that's where we find the richness of life. We know that that's where we're really sucking the marrow out of life. So of course, the universe wants us to grow. That necessarily means then that we need to learn how to be resilient. We need to learn how to face our pain with dignity and with some grace, hopefully, because we practiced it enough. And in your uh, chapter in Love and the Age of uh, um, Ecological Apocalypse, the one on children and collapse is so great because you've pulled many different researchers into your own work. And I really loved uh, the list there by, I think it was Young Eisendrath, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh-huh. Paula yeah. Young Eisendrath, yeah. Yeah, and she's talking about, you know, some of the consequences of the self-esteem trap where we've done this pain prevention parenting. We don't want kids to sort of know the truth before the, their their time or what have you, but also it means that, you know, it's uh, they're obsessively self-focused. There's that restless dissatisfaction, pressures to be exceptional, and we can see very clearly how this is just a microcosm of our culture in right. general. And so, yeah, there's there's so much um, so much to be gained from from facing things. And I like that advice to just apologize and to acknowledge. It's kind of like. Um, you know, it's like if you spilled your coffee on somebody, it's like you, you right. didn't mean to, but you did it. There's an impact. So our intention has not been to be sociopathically killing the planet, but we have. And so right. we spilled our coffee on people. We need to apologize. So um, now that said, I still feel really crazy sometimes. And, and you know, you, you hear these... Um, uplifting narratives and they tend to fall along the lines of the techno utopia right Uh like elon musk we now have a battery that can uh run a whole household uh you know and all of these things and so it can get really tiring to always be swimming upstream and against the mainstream as a person who's facing difficult subjects you know death and near-term extinction and and I just wonder if you notice in your practice and your workshops, there's a kind of fatigue among preppers or activists or, you know, people who are facing this because you get tired of being the Cassandra who's always, you know, the sky is falling, the sky, you know, uh-huh, you just uh-huh. to mix my metaphors. Yeah. So do you, do you see that? Yeah, I see that with them and I see that with myself. Um, when people begin waking up, they can feel very schizophrenic as if they have a foot in two different worlds, and they do. Um, it's very challenging to hold both worlds in one's body all the time. So it's important to take a break from the world of industrial civilization, and it's also important to take a break from prepping. I work with so many people who talk about loving the earth and defending it, but they're very afraid of or are resisting spending time in nature. Often they spend hours a day at the computer reading the latest research, and reading volumes of information about the collapse of industrial civilization, and frequently they are anxiety-ridden or depressed or feeling in despair 
because they don't know how to get their ducks in a row to prepare for this daunting future. Meanwhile, they may not have cultivated deep relationships with family members or friends, and they may have no sense of community. And most of the time, even though they talk about defending the earth and loving the earth, they have no relationship with it. So I often ask such people, or perhaps anyone who works with me, to go out into nature and spend quality, contemplative time developing an intimate relationship with nature. This means not doing anything in particular in nature, like hiking or gardening, but just being present to the smells, the sounds, the colors, the taste and textures of nature. Usually this is very difficult for people in the modern world because we're so estranged from nature. But gradually, as we increasingly expose ourselves to this kind of interaction with nature, we find ourselves falling in love with it again, or perhaps for the first time. And yes, uh, cultivating relationships with the earth and other humans, I think, is perhaps more important than our logistical preparation. All of these relationships are emotional, sometimes physical, but always spiritual in the sense that relationship always moves us more profoundly into the deeper self or the sacred within us and within the being to whom we are relating. Relationships move us into the heart, and that's where we need to be no matter what the future holds. So I would say... Get away from just being on the computer and just reading books and get out into nature and live, live, live. I just wrote an article last week entitled, Is There Life Before Death? Which you can find at my website, carolynbaker.net. There are so many ways that we can be living, loving, and serving right now. There's no need to numb out. And as I emphasize in Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, we are in relationship with everyone and everything. So let's get busy living mindfully and attentively and gratefully and serve our own species on all the other species. As Francis Weller says, Practice good manners in relation to other species. Make their extinction as easy as possible. Allow yourself to grieve and experience the joy that comes from doing that. Love and appreciate every person, every relationship, every activity, as if it were the last time you will ever be engaging with it, because it may be. And you know what? Even if there were no collapse of industrial civilization or near-term extinction, this is a very juicy, fulfilling way to live. Oh, yeah. Okay. Carolyn, did you say make their extinction as easy as possible? Because you really yes. got me in the heart there. Like, yeah. that's that's that pain-beauty thing that you experience yes. where something yes. is so heartbreaking and yet so beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the poignant place that we need to keep returning to, you know, because it's heartbreak and it's joy and grief and joy travel together. That's why we call it the webinar, um, you know, grief and joy in a flatline culture. In this flatline culture, we're not supposed to feel much of anything, Mm -hmm. you know, but when we when we experience the grief, it deepens our joy, because like William Blake, the poet said, the deeper the sorrow the greater the joy. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you're referring to your webinar that's with uh, Francis Weller on May 14 yes. and 21, right? Can you tell yes. us the website again that people should go to to register? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. It's Syncast, S-Y-N-C-H-C-A-S-T. That's all one word, Syncast.net. Okay, that's wonderful. Okay, can you describe for me your favorite place or your favorite kind of place in nature when you're trying to reconnect or attempting to reach that core of grief and joy in you, what kind of natural landscape is most comforting for you? Well, you know, I live in Boulder, Colorado, right up against the foothills of the Rockies. Um, and sometimes I go up into the mountains for that. But there's a park here in town that's huge and grassy and filled with trees. Um, it's actually a dog park. And sometimes I take my dog there and we run. But sometimes I just like to sit there and look at the mountains and feel the earth. And then there's another place um, in my home state of Indiana, way back in the Midwest, um, it's actually a cemetery. It's an old, old, old cemetery. Some of the tombstones go back to the Civil War. And it's a place, that area is a place where all of my ancestors grew up, were born and lived and died. And I call it ancestor land. And sometimes I go sit in that cemetery and I feel the death, but I also feel the life and the beauty. It's, again, it's that place of poignancy. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the places, really juicy places for me in nature. Wow. Okay. So a traditional last question for a return guest on the Proust questionnaire is about uh, calling uh, and gathering your uh, three cherished relationships. And they, they may be icons, they, may, they can be living or dead, or perhaps they're even ancestors. If it was your last day, and you could spend it with uh, any three people of any time, who would you want to gather to be with you? Well, the first person that comes to mind is Carl Jung, who has had such a profound impact on my life. I would like to really have some time with him. I'd also like to be able to speak with Rachel Carson, um, who's, who's the grandmother of the environmental movement, who saw so many things far ahead of her time that we're looking at now. And then I think I'd want to spend some time with Joanna Macy, uh, even though she's still with us. Uh, she is, is such a beautiful elder of this great turning, this, this death and rebirth that we're all going through right now. Oh, and I will bring the picnic for all Please of you. do, and the wine and <laughs> all right. of that good stuff. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for eldering our culture, Carolyn. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. And, and um, yeah, it, it's such a gift. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your wonderful show. It's been really fun to talk to you. So much good stuff in this episode. I could talk forever about that idea of grief and joy traveling together. I hope you came away with the strong sense that you're not alone and feeling inspired on this difficult journey uh, in this age. I want to thank Carolyn Baker so much. What a gift for her to come on the show and spend time with us today. And thank you for listening. In particular, I'd like to thank April 
who's listening in the San Fernando Valley. Thanks for being with me all this time. And I'd also like to thank the listeners in Spain. Hola! I can't even believe I haven't been to Spain in 20 years, but I remember you well. Thank you very much for for being with me. It's wonderful to know that we're all connected this way. Amazing. For all of today's show notes, just go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A, and click the link for the podcast. And that's also where you'll find more information about becoming a patron. If you like the show, you can let me know with as little as a buck an episode. And finally, to ensure you never miss an episode, sign up to receive notifications at the bottom of my website, carmenspaniola.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>